Hi, thanks for listening to our sermon podcast, Second on the Mount. I'm George Anderson, minister at Second Presbyterian in Roanoke, Virginia. I do not take it for granted that people sit in the pews on Sunday morning or listen to these podcasts hoping to hear something that connects them to God, to each other, to the world. And so I spend hours seeking the right word for the right time and said in the right way. I welcome your feedback. I encourage your sharing this sermon with anyone it might benefit. And I hope you'll return to this podcast again or come visit us for worship. We'd be happy to have you. Let us pray. Holy God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. My sermon title is a play on a phrase that's often used in sports, muscle memory. The transcendent games of basketball players Stephon Curry and Caitlin Clark, golfers John Rahm and uh, Nelly Korda, and skiers Michaela Schifron and Ingemar Stenmark are built on so having mastered drills that they can perform maneuvers of their sports without even thinking about it. They no longer act, they react when they swing a bat, racket, or club, dribble, pass, or shoot a basketball, or step, touch, or pivot, turn, in dancing. When between discount and entry, the Olympic diver executes tucks, picks, twists, and flips, her mind is not so much on deciding as her body remembering. I'm not fresh or original with this illustration of muscle memory. Many intellectuals are also sports fans, and more than a few philosophers and theologians have said that we need to pay attention to what these elite athletes can teach us about living the good life. How they master physical disciplines and drills could teach us about moral and ethical disciplines and drills. One of the latest is James K.A. Smith, who talks about the power of habit in his book, You Are What You Love. He says that there is a symbiotic relationship between the habits we form and what we love. We establish habits because of what we love. And what we love grows from what we habitually do. When what one loves is unhealthy or harmful to others, the best spiritual therapy, he says, is not so much making different decisions as it is recalibrating habits so better decisions can more easily be made. And it can be hard and frustrating at first because at first it's not doing what you want to do, but as disciplines are kept, whether it's to exercise to train the body or worship, prayer, and service of others to train the soul, one can learn to love the object of one's devotions. Smith says the orientation of the heart happens from the bottom up through the formation of our habits of desire. Learning how to love takes practice. The Apostle Paul says it this way in Romans when his instruction is to Clothe yourselves in compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience in order to put on love. When it comes to one's character, one's morals, and one's soul, I don't call it muscle memory. I call this training body memory. 
which leads me back to the Apostle Paul, who speaks of the body in 1 Corinthians 12. Only the body he speaks of is not that of an individual body, but of a community. Specifically, he speaks of a community gathered to worship and follow Jesus. My sermon is based on chapters 12 and 13 of 1 Corinthians, but I'll only read two verses. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in the one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews and Greeks, slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. The word of the Lord. Paul spends just about all of chapter 12 playing with the metaphor of the church being a body. The church is a body where Christ is the head. I want you to imagine Paul as a teacher in a children's Bible school. He would have just finished leading the children and singing, Head and shoulders, knees and toes, knees and toes. Head and shoulders, knees and toes, knees and toes. And eyes and ears and mouth and nose. Head and shoulders, knees and toes, knees and toes. Y'all have nothing on me. (laughs) And then after singing that, Paul then calls for volunteers and hands shoot up and Paul chooses eight of them. And around each of those eight, he hangs a picture of a body part, a foot, a hand, an ear, an eye, and so on. He then goes from child to child and asks the rest of the children why the body needs this part. Well, the body needs the eye to see, the foot to walk, the mouth to speak, and so on. Yes, Paul says, it's wonderful that this body has each part because all of them are important and useful. And isn't it wonderful, children, that the church has each of you in it? You are all equally important, so we can gather together to do what Jesus wants us to do. That second children's sermon that I just gave you for free is basically what Paul says in chapter 12. It's really that simple. I use this setting of a children's Bible school because there is a sense in which Paul is talking to the Corinthians as if they are children. Not children in the sense of their innocence and naivete, their trust and playfulness, but in the sense of their being childish and their needing to give up their childish ways. Clicks have formed within the Corinthian church based on wealth and privilege. The elite tend to have exclusive gatherings just unto themselves, and they tend to look down on others. They tend to insist on their own way in the deliberations of the body. They overvalue what they have to offer and undervalue what others have to offer. And Paul wants to retrain the Corinthian church and create a new body memory. He wants them to take on habits of hospitality, generosity, and right worship centered in how they celebrate the Lord's Supper so that they will love Christ more and their privilege less. He wants to get them to the point where loving actions are more habit than conscious decision. He describes what that looks like in the next chapter used so often in weddings, but also in memorial services where a shining example of Christ is remembered. I read this passage at a graveside service for Helen Fitzpatrick, for instance. 
What does it look like when a Christian community is instinctively of Christ? Well, it's patient, it's kind, it's not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. It doesn't insist on its own way. It is not irritable. It keeps no record of wrongs. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but it rejoices in the truth. And it bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And by the way, all things is referring to people more than anything else. Now, this passage can be helpful to individuals. That's why it's appropriately read at weddings as a sort of advanced marriage counseling for the two being wed so that each will remember to treat each other tenderly even when they disagree and appropriately read at memorial services in giving thanks for a life that bore the light of love. But let's remember that Paul wrote this for a community. He wrote this for the Corinthian church. And so to rightly hear the impact of what Paul is saying, we need to get out of our heads what we normally think of when we hear the word church. Because often what we think of first when we hear that word are buildings or a name or an address. We might think of buildings like a stone-like cathedral or a white clapboard church in the countryside or large red church downtown, red brick, or maybe those churches that were built in the 70s that looked like motels with steeples on them or massive arenas that were built for light shows and bands. Or maybe a name comes to mind, a name that you would find on a sign in front of a church or affixed to the side of the wall, Presbyterian, Greek Orthodox, Pentecostal, Roman Catholic, baptized, or some church ending with the phrase of Christ or of God. Paul would think it exceedingly strange that those images might immediately come to mind because in his day, communities of faith met in homes, in caves, in synagogues. His idea of church is of a community that's gathered to worship God and follow Jesus. A community that is either getting along or not getting along, who are doing what Christ would have them do or forgetting to do what Christ would have them do. I got to take a little detour here. There are some who think that we should go back to being just like the early church, that buildings, traditions, rules, and offices get in the way of loving God and following Jesus. But that's to confuse form with function. Times change and functions have to change to meet the times. And let's not forget that when Paul was writing to that early church in Corinth, he was writing to a dysfunctional community who needed to be told how to behave. And why would any healthy community today want to adopt the dissension, class snobbery, and bickering of that community? But though function has to adapt to changing times in ways that Paul could never have imagined, he had it right about what should not change. That any community, no matter how well or how little it is organized, any community gathered to worship God and following Jesus, whether it be some cathedral in Spain where mass is held on a daily basis or a Quaker meeting house in London where most of worship is conducted in silence 
or a red brick church in the town square or a converted store in a strip mall or where people worship with a bagel in one hand and coffee in the other or a small group meeting in someone's home for Bible study and prayer or in a basement where people admit to their addictions. Whatever that church is, it needs to develop the habits and the disciplines that build the body memory of love, which ends up looking like compassion and justice and mutual forbearing. Mutual forbearing is a fancy way of finding a way to get along despite your differences. So yes, functions have to change to maintain the essentials. I mean, think about worship. Though worship has been a practice of the church from its beginning days until now, it certainly has changed. Communion isn't a potluck supper as it was in the Corinthian church, and most Christian preachers don't sound like teaching rabbis anymore. But the ends of worship, which build body memory, remain. Worship remains a time to get heads and hearts straight, to confess what we did that we shouldn't have, and what we did not do that we should have, to pray, to sing, to consider what it is that God wants us to hear. We worship, when we worship rightly, to build body memory so that we can instinctively love God and each other in our lives. Or let's talk about serving the world. I mean, that certainly looks different than it did in Paul's day. Then it was about giving alms or taking a collection from some members to help other members in trouble or giving a cloak away if one has two or providing a sojourner a meal or a room to sleep in one's house. Today, with the church's expanded size and resources, it might look like an after-school program for children, a hospital being built, sharing the wisdom of one's life and faith in conversation, supporting a clinic, providing mental health care to the underserved, committing to efforts to overcome class and race inequalities, sending thousands of dollars in and teams of volunteers to disaster sites, providing a temporary home for those with housing instability, and supporting a seminary, and maybe even hosting a symposium to train future church leaders. Paul would be astounded. He would never have seen a lot of that coming. By the way, I, I, I took out part of the sermon on the early service, and I thought I would take it out again, but I'm just going to go ahead and tell you part of it anyway, and I don't have the notes with me. And you see what a disaster it is when I try to speak off the cuff. So fasten the seatbelts that you find in your pews, but here goes. We did these videos about the history of the church, and really, doing those videos was an exercise in learning about body memory. For instance, uh, just think about our outreach here at this church. We take including benevolences in our budget for granted. Well, guess what? It was the third senior minister before we even put benevolences in our budget. We take for granted the work that is done at the Presbyterian Community Center that we continuously support year after year. Well, guess what? There was once a time when members of this church had to work up with others in the presbytery to figure out what it was that the Presbyterian Community Center was going to be and what it was it was going to do. We take for granted working at, uh, the, at the Highland Park School and, and doing what we can to help people in housing crisis. All of that was once 
things that had to be learned and practiced that did not come naturally, and now we simply take it for granted. That is body memory, so that our focus cannot be on reinventing the wheel, but making sure that the wheel turns toward love. Or take youth ministry that Ben talked about in his uh, video. I mean, at one point, they had to figure out what our youth program was going to look at like. At one point, we had to send our youth on their first mission trip. At one point, there were leaders in this church that had to decide that outreach had to be an important part about what our youth did. Somewhere along the line, we decided in this, in this church that we're going to treat youth like adults or emerging adults and not talk down to them and even give them leadership responsibilities and even ask some of them to preach on a certain Sunday of the year. We can take a lot of that for granted. We instinctively do a lot of things because that is body memory. We just have to remember that it's for the purpose of love. Like I said, Paul would be absolutely amazed. But in all of that, he still would insist that the aims of what we do is reconciliation and compassion, not thinking ourselves better than others and imposing our will on them but joining with them in the practice of love. Since this is Legacy Sunday, I'll say this one thing about the funds that we have. In a way, they're kind of, of examples. They represent body memory so long as we remember why they were established and to make sure that they don't just sit there, but actually do the work of love that was envisioned by those who established them. We have body memory in this church that in many ways, in many ways, we just don't have to think about some things anymore. But my charge is that we not neglect the drills, that we keep practicing what we think Christ's love looks like in this day and age so that we don't forget and lose our way. That we don't lose our way being a body of Christ as its head making a witness to God's love in the world. Second Presbyterian, finding direction by following Jesus.